Well, we are starting a brand new message series today, and this is a series that's going to be all about family. And I thought that maybe a good way to get started with this series is for me to share with you one of my favorite pictures of my family. Some of you maybe have never had a chance to, uh, to meet my family, but here's a, here's a picture. It's one of my favorite ones. Um, this is us. Two parents, four kids, no faces being able to be seen here, I guess. But why I like this picture for a couple reasons. One is it's hard to see um, on the screen, but in front of us is um, Phoenix, Arizona. We're on top of South Mountain looking out towards the, the horizon and towards Phoenix. And the other thing is just kind of what I feel when I see this picture. There's like uh, this, this feeling of us looking out into the future uh, of whatever might be ahead of us. And yet we are together in this picture as a family, sitting side by side, shoulder to shoulder. What about you? What does, uh, what does your family look like? The truth of the matter is, is that every family is a little bit different. And when it comes to preaching a message series all about family, that can make it a little bit tricky because not all of us have the same types of family or in the same family seasons. Some of us are, are single. Some of us are, are married. Uh, some of you listening online or in the room are divorced and then remarried. Others of you are divorced and single. Um, others of you who are watching or listening might be widowed. Um, some of you have kids. Um, some of you want kids. Some of you wanted kids, but now that you have them, you're not sure so sure anymore. <laughs> some of us still live at home with mom and dad. Um, some of us have uh, stepmoms and stepdads. For some of you, when you hear that there's going to be a series about family, you're excited because you love that word because you've had a great experience with family. Others of you maybe have come into this series with a little bit of nervousness and trepidation because honestly, when you hear the word family, you probably think about frustration and hardship and maybe disappointment. And so all of us have a different experience and experiences with family. But as I was thinking about this series and what unites us, there were a couple things that unite us that I want to talk about in this, this first week as we sort of set up the entire series. One thing that's true about you is this that we all have a family. And I was thinking, even maybe for some of you, the, the rare exception where maybe everyone that you would consider to be family has, has passed away or, or gone away, even then, in those rare exceptions, I think there tends to be people in your life who have sort of become like a family to you. So that's one thing. We all have a family. They may look different, but we all have a family. The, the next thing is true, too, that none of us have a perfect family. Every family has 
problems. Every family has a certain amount of disappointment and dysfunction. There is no family that's perfect. And if you've looked online or here at church or in the neighborhood and thought, wow, that family seems to be absolutely perfect. I'd like to be a part of that family. Well, let me just warn you that if you actually became a part of that family, you would see (laughs) that there is dysfunction and challenges in that family too. We just do a great job as people of presenting the best of us to the world. Now, I don't know about the Ewerts, but the truth is that when it comes to this pastor's family, we're not a perfect family either. In fact, if we went back to this favorite picture of mine, if you only knew the backstory to getting this picture taken, we look so together and so, you know, well as a family, and yet the amount of whining and crabbing and complaining just to get the whole family to sit together like this, well, I don't have time to explain the whole situation today, but let me just say it this way. We're not a perfect family. And one of the big reasons, the big reason for that is is this that's on the screen, is that your family is made up of imperfect people. You see, the common thread of sin and every single person in the world, I know that maybe when you were dating and engaged, you thought you found the one person that has no issues and no dysfunction and is just, you know, amazing all the time, and then you got married and found out that wasn't true, that every single person has sin and a sinful nature and is flawed and is imperfect. And this makes family not only one of the best blessings that we could ever have in our lives when it's going well, but it also unites us with this recognition that it's hard, it's difficult. You should just imagine how good of a dad I was before I actually became one. (laughs) I could have told every dad and family exactly what they should do, and it was so easy in theory, right? And then, then you have kids. I mean, I, I was, I was going to be wise and I was going to be super cool. And also, they, children would come home, and as the scripture says, they would come home and call me blessed. And that just doesn't happen the way that we think it would. It's, it's hard. The same thing is true as a husband. I was a much better husband, just ask Carrie, when we were talking about it than when I actually became one. And so I think maybe just to give us all a chance to just breathe a little bit in this series and to recognize that, you know, if you come home today and recognize, you know what, like, we have dysfunction in this family. Join the club. That's the way family is in a sinful world. Our first fill-in sort of levels the playing field a little bit for this series, that there is no such thing as a picture-perfect family. It doesn't exist. We'd like to portray that. 
but it doesn't exist. And I, I mean, it's even this way throughout the Bible. I mean, if you really think about the Bible, for those of you who understand and know the history of the Bible, there is no example of a perfect family in the Bible. In fact, I have a hard time coming up with even a good one. Think about Adam and Eve, the very first marriage that began the very first family. And it only took a little bit of time where there's the first marital argument as they're trying to blame just about everyone else except themselves for eating of the forbidden fruit. And then it just got worse from there as two of their sons committed the first murder within the family as a brother named Cain murdered his brother named Abel, essentially because he was jealous of him. And you know that's just, the, that's just the beginning. In families in the Old Testament, there was murder and there was adultery, there was incest and there was polygamy. You have examples of a father, King David, having a civil war against his son, Absalom. You have the example of a brother um, who is sold into slavery by his other brothers. Now, I know some of you have thought, man, I wish I could do that. But Joseph's brothers actually did it. It goes back to our first fill-in. There's no such thing as a picture-perfect family. You can't find it in the Bible. Next slide. And yet, while there is no picture-perfect family in the Bible, the Bible does have direction for what a healthy family looks like. So in this series, here's what we want to do. We want to acknowledge that every single family represented in this room or listening or watching online has problems and dysfunction and sin but we also want to recognize that there is, there is guidance that God has given us in his word for what a healthy family can look like. And there is power with God for us to make some steps if there needs to be in that direction. So what we're going to do today is look at a section of scripture where probably in its fullest sense, we have in some verses right one after each other, the, the best sort of overview of how different parts of the family should act and interact with each other. It was written by a pastor in the first century named Paul as he was writing to a group of Christians in a Mediterranean city called Colossae. And here's where we want to start today. Colossians 3 verse 17 Whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the perfect way to start off this study. Here's why. Because naturally, when it comes to whatever you do, whether in word or deed, we tend to act this way. We do it all into response to what someone else has done to us. And so this happens in the family, right? So your loving towards your wife 
if she's loving towards you. We're patient towards our husband and loving if he's patient with us. We'll listen to our parents and do what they say if if they listen to us and give me something in return. So often when it comes to not just the family environment, every environment, but in this series, especially thinking about the family, what our MO is, is to do the right thing, to be loving, as long as the people around us are loving to us. And yet, Paul writes, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. I know that not everything and every interaction in your family is great. We already established that. We talked about that. But the way you respond and the way you live and interact should not be in a perfect world. We're looking at what God's plan is, should not be on the basis of how I'm interact with. But instead, it's based on how God has interacted with us. Not how our family loves us, but how God has loved you. I'm going to put it this way in our second fill-in for this series is that we are to live in the family. We are to live at work. We are to live in our neighborhoods or at church, not in response to how we've been treated, but instead in response to Christ. Your love in the family, your patience in the family, is in response to the love and patience and forgiveness, not that you've received from your family, but that you've received from God. You see, your wife might not always be loving, but God is loving to you every single day. Your husband may not always be understanding. But your God loves you every single day. Your parents, they may not always be fair. They're sinful too. But your God, he loves you every single day. Christ is our motivation And like I said, this is just an amazing jumping off place because some of us might be thinking, well, I'll work on stuff when they do. And of course, everyone in the family needs to work on things and it's easier when they do. But this is not a series for you to have ammunition to show your family how they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. (laughs) This is a series and a study not for your family members. It's for you to think about how are you doing and what can you do and how can you respond to the love that Christ has shown you. And then Paul continues. He says, wives. He's going to talk to wives first. Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
I mean, we're just jumping right into the deep end here, huh? What I, I found is that when it comes to that S word, submit, that oftentimes people kind of are afraid of that word. They don't like it. And, and a lot of times it's because there's some baggage with the English word submit that really isn't contained in the Greek. And I've preached whole sermons on this, but in a nutshell, let me say it this way. That in English, when we hear the word submit, we right away think of like this, this forced thing where people beyond their will have to do what someone else wants them to. You think of a UFC fight and someone tapping out because they're being forced into submission. But in the Greek, that's, that's not the idea behind it. It's not this forced thing that someone is putting upon you. What, what God is saying here and what he's, he's calling Christian wives to is to make a choice that you are going to put someone else's, namely your husband's, wishes, wants, and desires ahead of your own. It's not a forced thing. It's a choice. And I think for those of you ladies who are, are single and thinking about getting married someday, this is something that's really, really important to think about and why, as a dad of two daughters who are growing older, I tend to very much encourage them, you've heard me say this before, to think about, most importantly, marrying someone who loves Jesus and who has submitted his life to the Lord. And then, as a Christian wife, Although our husbands aren't perfect like Christ is, your role is to submit to your husband as he submits to Jesus. Continues, verse 19. Husbands now, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In another place, the same writer, Paul, expounds on this a little bit, and he talks about the love of a husband is supposed to look like the way that Christ loved the church. And then as I look at how I love my wife, because it does not, in my household, look like that every day. That there is a, a selflessness fellas, to the love that we show our wives, that there is the importance of us being that servant leader and the catalyst where we can make it either easy or more difficult for our wives to carry out their God-given role in how we love and we serve. And when it comes to this love, wow, there's also a lot of putting someone else's wishes, wants, and desires ahead of our own, guys. The other thing I want to just recognize is we've gotten two verses into this, and it feels in many ways like very old-fashioned, very traditional, so to speak. And yet, in context, as Jesus was teaching these types of things and as Paul was writing them, let me just say this. They were very radical thoughts at the time. They were very countercultural. And here's what I mean, especially with this verse. Notice how it says, don't be harsh with your wife, guys. Understand that culturally speaking, although God's plan was different, culturally, women at the time were not valued 
They were treated almost like a possession rather than as people. And Jesus, his teaching is very radical, very countercultural, where he says, no, I am going to elevate the value of women to where God always intended it to be and culture has fallen short. That they are a child of God just like you are. That they are beloved and cherished just like you are by your heavenly father. So husbands, love your wives. And be careful not to be harsh with them. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. Like when they tell me to clean my room, yeah, I think so. When, when they tell me to put away screens now, and don't complain. Yeah, that, yeah. When they tell me to be home by 11, yep. Obey your parents in everything because they are really good parents and always fair. <laughs> because this pleases the Lord. And the parents you have, you did not choose. But God gave them to you. And now he calls on you to obey them. And for those of you who are adult children, I'm one of them. I still have the, the blessing of having my mom and dad um, alive, and I hope it's that way for, for a long time. Our relationship has changed as adult children from the perspective that they don't tell us what to do anymore, although when I do go visit, my mom still does ask me to vacuum here and there, you know, and I listen, I listen, mom. She watches and listens a lot of times. I, I love listening to you still. <laughs> but probably a better application, or I would say a more um, apropos application, adult children, is that whether you always agree with your parents, even as you become adults, or whether um, you always feel the same way as they do, there is still, in the way we interact with them, an opportunity to respect them and to honor them as parents that you have been given and that we take special care in how we interact and how we honor them with our words. Verse 21. And so fathers then, don't embitter your children. Another word in a different English translation that maybe you've heard before is don't exasperate your children or they will become discouraged. It's interesting because this one hits me right in the heart as a dad that God through Paul is calling out fathers and saying, be careful with your words. And if some of the men listening online or in the room are like me. I think one of the things I know I have the tendency to do is to be really good at pointing out the things that my kids should grow and improve on, but maybe not as good at encouraging and celebrating the things they are doing well. And I think, if I were to be honest, a lifetime of that, you know what can happen? It can embitter the children. And so what a great encouragement, dads, for us to think about, not just is what we're saying true, but is there a way to say what is true in a way that will encourage and strengthen them and to be a blessing to them? It's not meaning that we just look the other way, that we still guide our children, but it's, it's the how that we do it. 
So in, in a few verses, Paul addresses almost every part of the family. Here's a quick summary. Husbands, love your wife and don't be harsh. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents and fathers. Will you quit irritating your kids? And that's it. That's kind of the summary that Paul gives. And I'm guessing that for many of us, we kind of already knew this. We, we know what we should be doing. We know how we should be acting. We know how the picture perfect family should be looking. But as we started with this morning, we also recognize there's a gap. Fill in number three. There is a gap between God's picture of family and your reality. And for many of you, that gap can be very emotional, can be heavy. For some of you right now, you're either in the midst of or have gone through a divorce. There's a gap. And it wasn't all your fault. Maybe very little of it was your fault, but there's, there's still guilt that you feel. For others of you, maybe you are estranged from a family member. Maybe it's a mom, a dad, a child, a, a sibling. And there's a gap there when it comes to your extended family. And you feel guilt because you know that in a way it wasn't all your fault, but there's some bitterness there I need to get through. There's some bullheadedness that need to soften a little bit. Even when family is still together, there can still feel like this gap where there's more drama than fun. That there's more difficulty than there is at times love. And as we close the day, I just want to ask this question, what are you going to do with that gap? There's a gap between God's picture-perfect family and what you experience. It's true for every single one of us. And now the question, as we close this message, as we get into the rest of the series, is what are we going to do with the gap? Do you know what we often do as a culture? Is when something is hard like working through relational difficulties, like forgiveness. What we tend to do is we tend to just normalize it and say it's okay. We use, we use phrases like, I need to be happy. And what that tends to often be is code word for, I'm going to do what I want right now because I have an understanding of what's going to make me happy. And it's kind of like excusing or kind of like a way for a Christian to sort of get around what God might say. So one way we can fill the gap is to say, you know, since this is normal, what we're going through, what we're, we're facing, then let's just normalize it. And sometimes that can work well in the short term because it allows there to be, well, a little more peace in the short term, at least inside of you, <laughs> peace. But over the long haul, it never works. Over the long haul, 
the only way to experience the peace and joy that God wants for us is not to fill the gap by normalizing things, but instead, our last fill-in for today, this is your application. I'm asking you today to commit yourself to pursuing God's picture of family. I want today to be a day where you basically put a stake in the ground and say, I recognize there's a gap. I knew that before I even came to church this weekend. I'm so glad that Pastor Ben made me feel like that wasn't, like I wasn't the only one. But now that I've, I've recognized that gap, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to put a stake in the ground and I am going to make some steps towards fixing whatever it might be. Not so that our family will be perfect, it never will, but so that I can, in response to Christ and what he has done, be the father, husband, mother, wife, daughter, grandparent that God has created me to be. And God walks with you. I want, I want to end with a little situation from Jesus' life that I know my heart needed to hear this week. So there was a, a lady that was brought to Jesus by church leaders and community, and she had some family drama going on in her life. She had some relational drama. She had been caught committing adultery. She was unfaithful. Think that'll cause some family issues in one way or another? Yeah. And as she was brought before Jesus, what would have been normal, at least in that culture, is for Jesus to just to be done with her. And in fact, often people were stoned, especially women, for sins like that. But Jesus looked at this woman, and some of you know what he did, in a way that was so countercultural. He forgave her. I see your mess. I came for messy people. I see the mess in your family. That doesn't scare me. That's why I came. I didn't come for picture-perfect people and picture-perfect families because those things don't exist. I came to get into the mess of sin. I came to come into your mess of this world and to do something about it. And he forgave the woman. And then months later, he died for her and you and me and our messed up, jacked up families. And he's forgiven us. But before and as he sends her on his way, or her way, he also says this. So go now. In response to what I have done for you, 
in response to not how you've been treated by um, whatever other romantic relationships you've had in your life, in response to not how your family members have treated you, in response to what I have done. Now go and leave your life of sin. Pursue my direction for you. I forgive you, but I don't want you to stay where you're at. I forgive you, but I don't want you to give up or to normalize what you have done. I forgive you. And now go pursue my will in your life and in your family. And that's where we're going to pick it up next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the family that you have given to us. Yes, it's imperfect. Yes, there are things that are difficult and hard. And yet, Lord, as we are refreshed and renewed, not only with direction, but also with your forgiveness, I pray that every single person in this room takes a moment to just today commit to putting a stake in the ground, commit to doing the hard work of taking steps towards better and healthier. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, through whom not only do we receive forgiveness, but we also receive your strength and power. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.